Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hajj Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. I will reiterate, Ben and I, we're a pair of friends uh, to each other, and we're also a pair of automotive journalists. That's so fact, oddly specific. <laughs> in fact, you can find Ben's work all over the internet. Ben, tell them where they can find your stuff. You can find my work at Motor Trend, at Car and Driver, at Driving Line, and at Inside Hook, and also at Haggerty. And you can find my work at Driving.ca and Nouveau Magazine. Ben, we've got some cars to talk about this week. I don't want to waste another second blabbing and having our preamble that we usually do, which is also confusing and uh, and clumsy, right? It's never a waste to hang out with your friends, Sammy. What? It? Well, I guess you're right. Now that now that we've had two years of not hanging out with anybody, it's uh, it's very important to hang out with your friends and talk to them. You doing okay, Ben? I wish I knew. <laughs> ben, do you want to talk about it on the podcast? No, let's move on to the cars. All right. Ben, you've been driving some German uh, compact muscle? What do you call this kind of thing? I don't think I would call it muscle, but I would call it the 2022 Audi S3, Sammy, which used to be muscle, but now kind of occupies that middle space when um, the... Remember a few years ago when all of a sudden (laughs) BMW M and S from Audi and AMG from Mercedes-Benz they kind of like added a middle rung. <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh wait, we can uh, we can entice people with this um, med- medium size, this yeah. medium here. So instead, where the M3 used to be the top tier that matched the S4, well, Audi decided that RS was going to match M instead of kind of being above M, mm-hmm. and the S4 and S5 and all that stuff got pushed down to like match the BMW 340, or as it's now called, the M340. So a whole bunch of alphabet soup happened, but the important thing to remember is that there are usually three rungs on the high-performance ladder now, and you have the regular version of a German luxury car. Also known as not high-performance. Yeah. Okay. Then you have the performance-ish version of the high-performance car, which can be... It occupies performance. Yeah, but it, it occupies a wide range of space. And then there's the full-on hardcore performance, which is for BMW M, for Audi, it's RS, and for Mercedes. It's still AMG, which is the most confusing of all of them. But even Cadillac got in on that. You, you now have the CT4V, and you have the CT4V Blackwing. <laughs> yes. So, and then just the regular CT4. So all of these things together make it tough to cross-compare. But when we're talking about the Audi S3, it's redesigned for this year. I don't think there was a 2021 model. I think they cut it at 2020 and then took a year off. It's As, as they should have, really. we we Everyone everyone needs to take a break. I wish I could take a year off, to be honest. <laughs> Can you imagine how much more powerful I would emerge from that chrysalis? But, I actually don't think you'd be more powerful at all. I think you... you hard work makes you stronger, rather no, than... That's where you're wrong. But um, the... The Audi is an exception because it's in a different segment than the traditional stuff, you know, the threes and the fours and the fives that we've been talking about. It's in this weird entry-level subcompact-ish segment that the other car companies haven't quite made a triple-rung ladder out of yet. So if you look at BMW... I think you're, I think you're missing out. I think Mercedes has something in that, in that space. No, but let me, let me finish my thought. Um, 
Nah. BMW now has the, the three series used to be the gateway to the brand. Then it was the two series coupe, but they realized they wanted to have something that was kind of below the two series coupe in terms of pricing and a little more practical. So they made the two series grand coupe, right? Which was their first front wheel drive based platform, even though it's all wheel drive here in North America. It's based on a mini platform and that vehicle comes in two flavors, 228 mm-hmm. and M235, right? Yep. If you look at Mercedes, they have the CLA. Yep. Which comes in regular CLA and AMG CLA 35. Now, do they if, not have a 45 anymore? I do not know. I thought they still had a, a 45. Let me find out. Let me find out. You keep ah, talking. They do. They do have a CLA 35. That's their weird medium run. It's the weird the 35. Yes. That's the S3 competitor. I think it's the closest thing to an S3 competitor. Yes, you're right. You're right. I was I was I was ignorant of this car. I thought it stopped at 35. That's so okay. the the Audi has the regular A3, has the S3, and has an RS3 that isn't here yet, but you know traditionally follows one or two years later. So I guess what I'm saying is BMW is the odd man out here. Um, I thought it was more of uh, the German brands, but yeah. So there's the 35 and the 45. So no, the- no, no. Wait, there's this really weird thing that I think we need to discuss. I think Audi is the only model that. Um, has one one vehicle in each of those three rings. You've got the A3, the S3, and the RS3. Yes. BMW only has the 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 base the engine, and the and the M-ish and the and the medium class vehicle, right? Yeah. And then oh yeah, Mercedes has all three as well. But there's like a weird thing to discuss with the CLA and the A class. Um, the CLA is like it's kind of like. How do you describe it? It's not a sedan, right? No, like, but it's, it's the not... same kind of four-door coupe that the two-series Grand Coupe is. Yeah, so what I'm trying to say is I think the S3 ends up being this really much more practical, reasonable vehicle. It's more, it's way more attractive body style-wise, and I think budget-wise, because you've got AS and RS, and that RS is really, fun, like really funky and really fun to drive. Um, and... Um, I, I don't know. Like, I think the S3, it fits in this really interesting spot where it's not out of this world like crazy, but it seems pretty um, exciting to drive, right? Yeah, you tell so me. That's one of the things I liked about it. Is I'm kind of like – I'm rethinking my point now because I, I totally spaced on the Mercedes-Benz part, but uh, on, the, on the Mercedes-Benz trio. But what I liked about the S3 is it kind of has this breathing room that you don't necessarily have at BMW where like the M235i has to do everything. It has to be powerful, but also has to be comfortable. It has to be crazy on a track, but also has to be good in regular driving, right? Mm -hmm. But with the S3, the S3 can be really quick, but also comfortable because it doesn't have to be as hardcore as the RS3. So when you you buy the RS3, you know you're getting into something that's maybe not going to be the best option as a daily driver because there's going to be compromise. But the S3 becomes like an anti-compromise, even though you would think it would be the most compromised version of the car because it has to be fast and comfortable. The reverse ends up being true. It ends up being its own thing instead of trying super hard to be the baddest car on the block. And this is something that I liked a lot about the S3 is the personality of the car is really easy to live with. It's... If you're not driving it quickly, you don't really have to worry about all the stuff you normally worry about when you're behind the wheel of a German luxury performance car. You know, you don't have a bouncy suspension. You don't have a jerky transmission tune. You don't have a really loud interior. And you don't have a super crazy exterior. Like, there's something to be said for the um, conservative looks of the S3. I know that there are people who were riding with me who, when they looked at it, they're like, it kind of looks like any German car. Like it could be a Jetta, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
But the details are there to elevate it a little bit above that, I think. But it, it's not as look at me as an AMG vehicle and mm-hmm. or an RS. And I think that that's going to appeal to a certain segment of the population. Yeah, it doesn't have does it have like sporty blue brakes like BMWs do. No, it's not like that no. at all. It's much. So, I hesitate to use the word classy, but it, it comes across as. A why more, do you hesitate to use the word classy? Because we got to get over this hump right now. Because for entry level luxury, I'm not sure that that matters so much. Uh, this yeah. is this is this is a segment where you're often buying the badge more so than the experience. But I think the S3 is an example of rising above that. It's a car right. where you, you, you're getting the Audi badge, but you're also getting a pretty decent experience. I think Audi does a good job of shrinking down the luxury experience, whereas Mercedes and BMW in the past have struggled with that. Um, yeah. And uh, it's, it's, it's a balance, I think, because this is a car. It's got 306 horsepower from a, twin, uh, a turbocharged four-cylinder. I think it has like 275 pound-feet of torque, something like that. Let me double-check the number. Okay. But these are better numbers than in the past. It, it's beating the older S3, but it's also like significantly quicker than the regular A3. I think it's like something like 75 more pound-feet of torque. Yeah, it's 295 pound-feet total. It is much, much quicker. It's 0 to 60 in like 4.3 seconds. It's a sub-13-second thir- sub car in the quarter mile, but wow. it doesn't have that compartment. Like... If you're outside of dynamic driving mode, it just feels like a normal Audi. It's very, like a really very confident, like comfortable vehicle. Yeah, and the handling is decent, but it's mm-hmm. not. Again, it's not over the top. Like I'm never feeling like I should be hitting corners super hard in order to get the full experience of the car. It's like if I want to have some fun with it, I can. I probably would never take it to a racetrack, but it's quick enough in a straight line for it to be interesting if I want to enjoy myself. And that's, I think, a really good balance for a car in this segment. It costs forty six grand to start, and you can go up to like I think fifty two or fifty three uh, with options. And if you really want to get crazy, there's like a a custom paint option for like another four grand if you want to get like a color that's if you want to match the car to your wallet or whatever you want to do. But uh, it's a, it's a fairly affordable luxury experience, um, and that was something that surprised me in a good way. So, um, first of all, it is cheaper than the Mercedes-AMG CLA 35 by about $2,000, which I think is important to, to point out, too. Um, and I think um, it might be a little bit more practical as well. But what I really appreciate you discussing is that just because it is fast and comfortable does not mean that it is like this compromised you know, waste of a vehicle – the RS models can be a little bit overwhelming for everyday traffic. They are extremely extroverted. People will hear you and before they see you. Um, and you have to get used to like the hyper-bolstered seats and the super stiff suspension. And then I on the th- other hand, you've got this A3, which um, I think I might be kind of bold in saying it's going to feel very similar to um, an all basically an all-wheel drive gti or something like that um but I, with in a, in a sedan form right? i do want to address that because they do share the golf r and the audi s3 do share a platform okay um the driving experience is quite different i think okay the the, the difference is it, mechanically it's the same engine it's mm-hmm. tuned for a little bit more power in the golf r but not a lot uh, there's also a torque vectoring differential that the R gets that the Audi doesn't. And you can get a ma- manual transmission in North America with the Golf. You can't get that with the Audi. Right. But um, the Golf R 
in in my experience, is tuned a little rougher suspension wise. Right, it feels right. like more of a performance car, uh, or or more of like what people think a performance car should feel with, feel like. I feel like overwhelmed and extroverted words that you just use to describe RS are great terms to kind of talk about what the S3 has managed to avoid. The other thing, yeah. the other thing I like about the S3 way more than the Golf R, which you will call, I was very disappointed in. Price wise, yeah, yeah. they're not that far apart. Probably the infotainment system. Yeah, the infotainment the system, not just the infotainment system, but the entire cabin. Yeah. So the cabin in the Golf R feels ultra cheap. Uh, you're paying, I, I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but it's it's just over 40000 I believe. Mm-hmm. So you're very close to the S3, but you get an, an, an interior that is just reams of black plastic. It's like a piano black apocalypse in there. It's the worst. It's just so boring. And you're expected to interact with the infotainment system using a series of touch controls that are not easy. They're slow. They're complicated. They're not intuitive. Audi avoids all of that. It's got a pretty standard German luxury car interior. It does have a bare center console with like that little nub shifter and kind of a weird touch rotary thing for volume control where you would normally have a knob. But there's lots of other buttons elsewhere, like for climate control, on the steering wheel, actual buttons that you can use. So you can avoid the things you don't like and you can take advantage of like the large uh, digital cockpit that it brings with it. And the the back seat's actually pretty decent too. Nice. Um, You can fit two six-footers behind each other, which is rare in that segment. And because it's not a coupe quote-unquote, like the four-door coupe of the CLA and the Grand Coupe from BMW, the roof line doesn't slope down in the back. You have decent headroom. So okay. that, that to me, is an important differentiator. It feels like a more mature car than the Golf R, but it's also just a better ownership experience. Like, you don't... The Golf R feels like an expensive version of a cheap car, and you can see where they cut corners, but the Audi just feels like a smaller luxury car. Yeah. So, I mean, I was trying to discuss... I was just trying to say that I think at that entry-level point that the A3 comes in, not the S3, that it can sometimes feel like um, it feels like it's not hitting the mark of what an Audi um, can really be. Yeah, so I, I haven't really driven think... an A3 in quite a while. so it's, it's. But the last time I drove one, I was I, I came away kind of unimpressed. But this S3 does probably... I mean, I can imagine it probably does not feel uh, flimsy when it comes to the cabin. No. Um, you still have a little bit of those luxury appointments that make a luxury car kind of stand out. That's something that I think was really lacking in vehicles like um, the CLA 250 and the Grand Coupe version of the 2 Series. The two, I think it was called the 228. For sure. Um, and there's, there's a $10,000 price difference too. Right. And I mean, that's that. this is the most difficult part, I think, with the S3 is the pricing means that you uh, you might end up having to make a decision about whether or not you should jump up into an A4 or S4 because I think it's just a $5,000 difference to the S4. Yeah, but you know, once you start adding like A3 yeah, to, A3 course. to S3 is 10 and then S3 to base S4 is another 5. So you're $15,000 over, which means at that point you're close to you're almost at 40% more than that base A3, right? Right. So I don't know. I mean, and then and then A four as well, right? And it's important to keep in mind too that the S three, in terms of size, is what an A four was ten years ago. Right. You don't necessarily yeah. need the large. The A four is you do feel the size in the platform okay. when you're driving it. To me, it's not as spirited as the S three. I think uh, that adds up. I think I I totally can see that. Um, it, it was going to be a little bit more confident, a little bit more like engaging, even though it's not an you know, a sporty car, the S3. 
So I think that's where it comes through, right? What do you mean? What do you mean in terms of engagement? In terms of, I can imagine that it, the steering will be a little bit more precise, mainly because of that size and that probably a tuning difference in the suspension and and yeah, it's, transmission. It's not, it's not as much of a grand touring car as the yeah. as the S4 would be. Um, but I was saying, if you're trying to make that decision between A4 and S3, I can oh say the A4 S3 and S3. I mean, yeah, the A4 is going to be a relaxomobile. It is in right. comparison, it's going to feel like a boulevard cruiser. Yeah. Um, and that's not just a function of the the like tighter suspension tune on the S3. It's it's a size and weight thing. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Um, and there was one more question I wanted to ask you about. Do you think the fuel economy takes a massive hit with this motor and this? No, I mean it's, that it's something... not bad. I think it's like thirty two on the that's highway, and okay. I think you'll probably see like between twenty seven and twenty nine. Uh, depending on how you drive it. it, it feels a lot more relaxed in di- in in auto or comfort mode than it does in dynamic mode, where like things get loud and it uses the the fake sound sweetener and it the shifts get um, it lets you go to redline more and you 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 keep out of the higher gears. There there is a very different personality that comes with the car when you change drive modes. So nice. if you're in that mode, it does sip fuel a little quicker. But again, it's still a pretty small car and relatively lightweight, so that plays in its favor. Cool. Um, I think that the S3 has always emerged as the more entertaining out of this like trio of German um, mild performance vehicles. Um, and I think that's continuing um, with this generation as well. So uh, moving on from Germany to a company that no longer has any ties to Germany and specifically a vehicle that no longer has any ties to German predecessors that might have informed its older designs, you drove a SUV that we've talked about on the podcast before, yeah. but never this version. Uh, mm-hmm. This And this version is pretty weird. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, that was, first of all, that's quite the segue you pulled off. Well done. Um, the motor, the vehicle I'm talking about is the Jeep Grand Cherokee. Now, please do not stop your podcast right yet because we've been talking about the Grand Cherokee um, a couple of times. The version I drove is the especially strange 4xe or 4xe um, version of it, which is a plug-in hybrid um, version of the of the Grand Cherokee, which is a pretty big change. It's the first time we've got this kind of electrification um, on the Grand Cherokee, and I think in theory it seems like a pretty good fit. I mean. You and I have both agreed that the Grand Cherokee is extremely um, high-end, luxurious, smooth, um, quiet, and kind of plush. And all those features would be um, upgraded by having a quieter, uh, more fuel-efficient powertrain, right? You say, you say this is the first time we're talking about this version of the vehicle, but it's not the first time we're talking about this drivetrain, right? This is something that's yeah. been borrowed from another vehicle that's been out for a year or two now. Yeah, so it is exactly the same as the um, Wrangler 4xe. Um, in terms of execution, that means we've got a two-liter turbocharged four-cylinder under the hood with a pair of electric motors, one for the transmission and one that plays this uh, belt start generator. Um, the combined horsepower of the two powertrains comes together at around, I think, two, 375 horsepower, I think, which I which is pretty good. Sure. Yes. I mean, that's like... 300 and- 375 horsepower and 470 pound-feet of torque. So that's which is comparable to like the V8. Yeah, I mean it's comparable to the the horsepower from the 5.7, and I think the torque from the 6.4. There is no 6.4 anymore. There used to be though. Okay. The SRT. So it's <laughs> yeah. it's, it's SRT levels of torque. Yes. 
Um, and, you know, we're promised about 26 miles of all-electric range, which worked reasonably. I, I had no issues with that. And I think we agreed when we had the Wrangler 4xE that, yeah, the electric mo power of this vehicle is, is, it works. It's a bit of a novelty. I think there's a problem. Uh, there are a number of problems that we have to discuss with this powertrain. But uh, in theory, it all works. Like, I, I mean. I have two questions right off yeah. the bat. Sure. How much does the powertrain weigh and how much more am I paying to get it? So it, I believe in, depending on the, on the um, trim levels, it can be anywhere between seven to 800 pounds heavier than the um, non-plug-in versions of the Grand Cherokee, which means I think even the lightest one is about 53 to 5,400 pounds, okay. which is a lot of weight for a you know, for an electric motor to try to mo to move around. And not I'm only, sorry, it is a lot. Not only that, once you're off battery, you're lugging a lot more weight. So I'm assuming this has worse fuel mileage than a regular Grand Cherokee. Um, that's not the expect. That's not the thing. That's not what I've noticed. I found that the um the mileage is of that Turbo Four is actually pretty good compared to the um especially compared to the V8 version of the car. Um, and is pretty comparable to the six cylinder, so I think that's not so big of a of a compromise. But you didn't ask about you did ask me about price. The pricing of this um, the four be starts um, at around the uh, the same tr the same what's the word I'm looking for the same trim level as the gas powered version of the limited. So that starts at around forty seven. The four by e will cost about uh, fifty seven thousand. So ten thousand dollar difference. Wow! And for, for that twenty six for twenty six miles of range, and um, twenty three miles per gallon combined, which is one mile per gallon better than a two wheel drive V six version. Yeah. Mm. Right. Um, and then, but like we did mention, the performance, the power is there. The performance is pretty decent, but there is a there is a poison pill. I think there is a problem with the with the transition between electric. First of all. There's a, there's a, there is an theory, like in theory, this is a, this is a bad fit. I mean, I'm sorry, in theory, it's a good fit. It should work. We want quieter, luxurious Grand Cherokees. That's what people are, are into right now. That's what it should work out to be. But when you've got only about a hundred horsepower or 150 horsepower trying to motivate this, um, this massive vehicle, it feels underpowered in the electric mode. Okay. That's a big problem. The second problem comes when you're asking for power out of it um, in that electric mode. The car will turn on, will fire up the the, the turbo four, um, will will read your throttle position, your your pedal position as demanding power right now. It'll rev that turbo four up, slam it into gear, and then you'll get a very unpleasant transition from. The pure electric uh, experience to the hybrid experience. So, so you're saying it has a bad handoff between... It has an extremely poor handoff. It is probably the least... Uh, it is the most noticeable um, issue with this vehicle is this whole element here. Um, it, 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 it can jump into that gear and it just really doesn't feel great. Um, and I think they really need to smooth that out. They need to tune it out a little bit better. Especially at that price, because, I mean, I don't remember noticing that with the Wrangler. I did. I remember it not being... It didn't... Hand, it could do... The Wrangler could do the EV mode fine. It could do the hybrid mode fine. But when you transition between the two, it's 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 clumsy. Yeah, I don't, I don't... I don't... I'm not saying it was great. But what I'm saying is, with the Wrangler, you cut it more slack because 
it's already a fairly coarse vehicle in yeah. terms of drivelines some, in some situations. So I kind of feel like you roll with the punches there. But in a Grand Cherokee, at that price, I'm probably not want, willing to do the same amount of you know looking the other way. Yeah, I think that's the case. I think I'm a little worried about this, especially because the fully loaded um, Summit Reserve models get very expensive. 75 grand, essentially. Yeah, if I'm paying um, $75,000 for a car, it needs to be whisper quiet when it transitions from ev to gas and back and back back the other way around absolutely um and of course you've got the other compromises to think about here um it takes a while to charge up again i think using a level two charge it'll take uh i don't know three ish hours three to four hours um and then the off-road the off-road capability is still there but the ground clearance is actually a tiny bit less than um, that of the of the gas powered versions of the car, which I found kind of interesting. Mainly, even when you're talking about um, the air suspension setup too. So, I wonder if it's because because of the added weight, they didn't mm-hmm. want it to be taller. Yeah, I think that's handling. I think that's possible. Um, and then the other thing is, it has a smaller gas tank, um, so you might you know, despite the improved fuel efficiency, slightly improved fuel efficiency. Um, you might have to visit the tank, the, the gas station a little bit more frequently. So who is this vehicle for? I mean, I have, I have no idea, man. I don't know where this person comes. This is a, a, a Jeep fan who loves the idea of the, the, the automaker modernizing into the electrification field, right? It's in the past. I've, what I've enjoyed about plug-in hybrids is because I can drive around town and not use fuel and then still go out on uh, go out on a road trip and not have to worry about charging. So it's like best of both worlds in that sense. Sure. But I feel like there's there's a point where it's diminishing returns where you're not necessarily get like re- refresh my memory. The X5 plug-in is something like 35 or 40 miles of driving. I think that sounds about right. I'll double check. So that's But yeah. another 20 or almost it's almost double what you're getting with the Jeep let me double check for you. Okay. So in that sense, I feel like that at that level of range, I'm more willing to to pay more. But when you when you start getting to like 20 or 25 miles, it feels a little bit less like a value and more like a party trick, and I don't know why I feel that way because I still think that level of mileage would cover my daily driving, right? You you jump you were a little bit optimistic with the with mainly because I think your perform your experience with the X5 was that it actually got more than than you expected. Yeah, it definitely beat the the, the the EPA rating is 31 miles. 31 miles. So it's not all that different, but in when I drove it I got more than 31 miles. But then you also have to remember it uses a 6-cylinder turbo uh which gets about 20 miles per gallon combined. Okay, yeah. As well. So you've got this weird balance right now in this luxury class of like I don't know. I I would say 30 is a decent decent range. This Grand Cherokee doesn't quite match that. Um, it needs to be, I think, closer to that 30. I think people will really appreciate that. But then you've got to also factor in where the, where the, how the gas motor performs. It's true. Um, and, and we're also complaining about, you know, that's 18%. That's not a huge difference. So maybe I should retract my previous statement. I don't know. I think, you know, it's like a fifth. Yeah, I guess so. Right? Um, I don't know. Maybe my expectations were high given how good the, um, the Grand Cherokee with that Hemi V8 is. Yeah, I think it, your I think your expectations were right to be high because the vehicle it's based on is excellent. I don't think that that's unreasonable at all. And its biggest issue with that V8 is fuel economy. It's like, like actually awful. Like it is it, that is a 
troublesome part of the vehicle. You have to be able to, especially given the, the, the fuel costs these days. I like how we're worried about like the idea of, you know, oh, there's this really great vehicle. And they made another version and the other version is more expensive. And is it okay if I want the more expensive version to be better? <laughs> it's like, it's I know. Like we're I so, so hesitant right? to like, to ask that of an automaker. Yeah, it should be. You're right. It, it, you're paying more. You're getting more technology, more complications. It, there should be a, a reasonable um, expectation of it being better than the than the traditional one, which is already proven to be good. Is it that good? It it takes everything that was good about the the other vehicle. Uh, that's still there. That it hasn't changed that right, but it hasn't made it better. That's a problem. So you have anything what else now? Right? Yeah, like what happens there? I don't know. I mean, obviously, if you're a Stellantis, you try to continue to refine that technology. Um, As they put it into more and more of their Jeeps. I can imagine this coming to either the Compass or the regular Cherokee next. I mean, if those vehicles survive, I don't know what sales are like for them. I don't know what generational plans are like for them. Uh, but you, you know, these are smaller, lighter vehicles. So mm-hmm. you'd have to do some – get a get at a shoehorn, I guess, to fit that giant battery in there. So, And that's that- – that that brings up the other part of this. I don't remember the plug-in version of the Pacifica being particularly unrefined. No, but I, I, thought think, it was... I think that's because the Pacifica was designed from the outset to accommodate that. Whereas I think what we're seeing with the Jeep is they have a plug-in drivetrain now for this particular rear-wheel drive platform. Yeah. And they're able to move it around, but it wasn't necessarily built specifically for the Wrangler or for the Grand Cherokee. I don't okay. know that for a fact. So then, but then also we're talking about the the Pacifica used a three point six V six. Yeah. The the I mean they are different systems from what I'm told. They're not related. No. I don't know how that's possible. Well, because they're one's a front wheel drive, right. Longitudinal, and one's uh, a, a north south configuration. Well, there has to be some relation somewhere between the the, the electrical components here. Come on. I don't think so. I mean, the, even the tr- the transmissions are radically different. So it's. I I don't think the drivetrain from a Pacifica anyway analogous to what you would find in a in a Grand Grand Cherokee. Okay, now let's let's go back to the positioning of the four bay e powertrain in the Wrangler and the Grand Cherokee. Um, is it's a it, it's obviously more expensive than the V8s um, in the Grand Cherokee, and there is now a V8 version of the Wrangler. Yeah, the but it's a hyper by- expensive version of the Wrangler. Right, right. like that's a, that's a weird. That's basically the SRT version of the Wrangler. If you if okay, you so we shouldn't we shouldn't even consider it as part of the. the, the I don't range. know. It, I think it occupies the same space as the TRX, where okay. it's it's a it's an extremely unique customer. So what I'm trying to say is, it's weird to say that in the in the Grand Cherokee, you're paying for the more expensive one. You need to be expecting the better powertrain. Yeah. And then I was about to say, you know, with the Wrangler, the V8 version is like the the specialty version. That's the weird one. That's the good one. And the the four by E is like this novelty. Is this weird one that you might like for another reason? But then when you take a look at how a turbo four plug-in hybrid powertrain, if they keep it as is and they stuff it into a, a Cherokee or a Compass, which I think is the game plan. I, I know you think they might not do that due to a popularity of those vehicles. I think it's coming. Um, I think it's already probably available overseas. Already I available. Pro- I should probably double-check that. But I, do <laughs> I, think- like how, I like how you're product planning for Stellantis now. Like, Guys, you might not know this, but you are already selling a plug-in hybrid Cherokee. Let me double-check. You are selling it in Estonia, you are selling it in Greece, and you are selling it in Egypt. Did you know that? Yeah. Um, Let me double-check. 
Now I'm talking nonsense. That's not fair, right? It's okay. Yeah, there, mean, is, there is a 4 by e version of the Renegade and Compass. Okay, but the Renegade and Compass... So I know the Renegade is based on a Fiat platform. So I'm assuming yeah. that the drivetrain that's in that is something they borrowed from an existing Fiat plugin in Europe. I don't think it would be similar to what you just experienced. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's completely different. Okay, sorry. That's all I got then. <laughs> well, you don't need to apologize for Stellantis not making plug-in hybrids. I mean, it's not your responsibility. As much as you've just tried to make it your responsibility, it's yeah, not yeah. your... I'm glad I didn't. Um, but I, it is, you know, if we pay attention to what's going on over there, um, you know, everybody's going to be delivering some sort of plug-in or all-electric version of their vehicle. That's This is the new trend these days. They need to try to get ahead of the curve when it comes to these... Um, I don't know, mandates if they're going to Yeah, continue. it's definitely regulatory-driven for sure. And a company like like Stellantis is behind the curve. Was behind the curve. I think they still are. You think they're still behind? Well, well, I think if you look at their overall lineup and then you compare it to um, – there's there's no – they don't have a single pure EV vehicle, do they? Um, no. Okay. So Ford does and um, GM does, right? I think they're trying to make a RAM. Uh, well, trying, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't know what to say to that, <laughs> but <laughs> but I, they, they're behind in that sense. And, and in they terms used of, to have a Fiat. They used to have a 500E. Yeah, but um, that was a compliance car that was sold in like two states like 10 years ago now. And so, they lost a bajillion dollars on it. Yeah, they did. Didn't Sergio Marchioni <laughs> yeah, ask people, people not, not to, buy. to buy it yeah. because they were losing so much money on it? So they, they don't have the BEV. They also... They, they barely have plugins, and those plugins are arriving again a decade after stuff like the Ford Fusion Energy and the Volt. So, and that's that's what I mean by behind. I mean they haven't really gone hardcore into electrification, and there's lots of reasons for that, and I understand why. But um, I don't know what the electrification future looks like for Chrysler, Dodge, and, and Jeep because of that. I think they're trying to make they they. I think they just inked a deal with. Uh... With ba- with battery matter battery manufacturing in Canada, which I think is a is a compass for them going forward. Oh, good, nice um, nice pun there. I like that. Oof. Um, but I also want to tell it to you. I wanted to talk to you about something that also happened in the New York Auto Show with Jeep, which made me scratch my head. Do you remember okay. this? Uh no. The New York the Auto wag- Show was last week, right? Yes. The Wagoneer and Grand Wagoneer um, oh, yeah. got a long wheelbase version of the of themselves. So did if we talk, you thought did that we the talk wag- about this last week? I don't remember if we talked about it. Oh no, <laughs> we might have talked about it. I don't think we did. Anyway, it's longer now. If you thought it was long before, get ready to be terrified by how long it is today. Um, it does seem strange that, like, I think we did talk about this, and I'm starting to get weirded out that we can't remember if we talked about it or not. Like a grander no, wagoneer. I, don't think did. I think I think you talked about a grander wagoneer. Wagoneer. No way, man. Yeah. If um, if we did, we're going to totally we, cut this segment. Is, did we t- yeah. If you're hearing this segment, it's because we don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> but now it's a foot longer, and all of that space went into the cargo room. Yeah, which is super weird. Although, kind of like the suburban is kind of like that too. Yeah. Like, um, although I think like suburban Tahoe, you get more leg room in the third row, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, yeah, it's weird because if you if you look at like Wagoneer and Grand Wagoneer, Grand would seem to indicate it's already longer. Yes. But that's not the case. That's not the case. Now there's Grand Wagoneer L, 
And we, you know, we had um, Navigator L, and I think Ford mm-hmm. Expedition used to be L, and now it's like Ford Expedition Max. Yeah. Because that's hardcore. But I think they should just call it the Grander Wagoneer. It would have been cool. Missed opportunity. Um, and this uses a different powertrain as well. This uses that Hurricane 3-liter three, three inline 6. Yeah, I think that's probably why we talked about it last week, because we did talk about that engine. But okay. I'm going to listen to last week's podcast, something I never do, mm-hmm. <laughs> and see if we did. And if we did, I'll cut this. If we didn't, I'll cut this. Either way, no one's hearing it. <laughs> okay, great. Thanks. There is one last thing I want to talk about this week. I know it's kind of a weird episode. Um, I saw The Batman... And uh, I'm not a huge... You mean the movie, The Batman? No, I saw him. He, he appeared to me in a dream and he said, Thou shalt do a low-energy podcast with Sammy this week. And I said, oh. no, it will be an amazing podcast. And he That's said, right. we'll see, we'll see. No, anyway, I saw the movie, The Batman. And it's funny because uh, Sammy also was watching the movie at exactly the same time I was, unplanned. And we both got to the part where the Batmobile gets introduced. This is why we're talking about it. Yeah. So... Normally, the Batmobile is like a pretty slick, deal, like a heavily militarized Tumblr-like vehicle. Those have been yeah. kind of the versions of the Batmobile we've seen in movies. For the Batman, they, the scene where it's introduced is really crazy in the sense that um, they're kind of there's, – there's like this weird shootout that's just happened. And there's like a dark alley beside the shootout. And all of a sudden, you hear this huge turbine whine. And everyone stops what they're doing and looks in the alley and the most insane car is just there and it's making crazy noises and flames are coming out of it for like no reason. And it even stalls like once and has to get fired back up again. It is by far the best part of the movie. It's some of the best sound design I've ever heard. It is totally crazy. And I liked it so much. I've watched it three times now. Uh, with my subwoofer on just to kind of shake my whole house. We're going to play it for you so you can enjoy the sound of the Batmobile being introduced. Here it is. I want to underscore the fact that that entire scene is just people looking at the Batmobile while it does 30 seconds of flames and revving. There's a a turbine sound, there's a V8 engine sound, there's blue flames, there's orange flames, and it's just sitting there. It's not even doing anything, and it's commanding the attention of everyone within like a 40-foot radius. Now, this... I watched it at home, like you did, um, and I kind of now regret not watching it in the theater because I just because you mentioned the sound design is unbelievable. Um, and can you imagine this the theater going just vibrating with that energy? Yeah. And then the the chase that occurs afterwards is pretty intense too. Oh, but I don't even need the chase. Like I can I can just watch <laughs> the intro because what, there's a bunch of things that I liked about it, and I'm gonna kind of nerd out on movie car stuff right now, but. Yeah. Um, it's so unnecessary. Like 
the the sounds of the car are really unusual. It's not just like a, a it's not just a turbine. It's not just a V eight. It's like a swelling turbine out of nowhere that you don't really know if it's related to a car or not, and then a V eight as well. So the whole powertrain is like totally mysterious. You, you, yep. it, and um, I had read some stuff about the design of the vehicle, and the director had said that they wanted to convey the impression that Bruce Wayne, who was actually Batman, spoiler alert. He he created this car specifically to terrify people. Like it's supposed to look weird and unfinished and just aggressive, not necessarily be a high performance vehicle exclusively, but something that will strike terror into the hearts of criminals. And I think they really achieved that because it's a very atmospheric automobile. Like you look at it and you just think something's going wrong. Like the whole time, like the entire time it's running there, just idling and revving. It feels like it's going to explode. So I thought that was amazing. I'm not saying go watch the movie. The movie is okay. It's it's quite long. It's three hours. This occurs almost exactly in the middle. Yeah. So I would recommend if you skip to like one hour, 17 minutes in, I think that's the time code, just to check out that scene, turn up your subwoofer, turn up your stereo, irritate your neighbors, and revel in the sound of uh, an engine that probably doesn't exist in reality, but if it did, is about to be legislated out of existence. <laughs> Yes, exactly. I, I mean, I think that introduction is the best introduction of any of any Batmobile. Um, yeah, it is just it it just adds so much to the atmosphere, and I and I loved it. I think that was awesome. Like it, it was truly entrancing. I'm not gonna. I'm not saying it's the best Batmobile though, because I'm still really partial to the 1989 Michael Keaton Batmobile. Yeah. And what that's... about the like? What about the 60s one? The 60s one is cool, but if we're talking specifically about the movies. I think that the '89 one is my favorite. The Tumbler is interesting because it's they so really cartoony though. The the '89 one, yeah. I don't know. It had the cool gadgets like the armor and the self driving, and it had that weird little bomb that it dropped in the factory for no reason. <laughs> like that kind of stuff. I, it, it looks cool. It, it and then they kind of made it a caricature in the next couple of films as everything yeah. about the series became more ridiculous. But um, the the Tumbler, I think, was an interesting take on it. The thing I didn't like so much is that we saw it so often in the next few movies that it kind of lost yeah. its coolness, you know? Yep. Um, but this one, it's visually, it's, it's you know, like I said, it's supposed to be scary looking. But sound-wise, it's definitely next level. Yeah, man. Um, I think that's all we've got to talk about this week, which is, uh, it feels like we, we cover a lot of ground there, right? Definitely a lot of background. Yes. So um, why don't we let everyone know where they can find um, past episodes of the, of the podcast, Ben. Sure. Take it away. If you go to www.unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, there are like 300 episodes there going back five years that you can check out. Wait. All of our musings, you can find, see, and witness our growth as podcasters and feel our friendship blossom in your eardrums. Um, you can also, on the website, if you want to subscribe to our podcast we have a whole bunch of buttons that allow you to do that on your favorite podcatcher or you can just go to like apple music or apple podcast sorry uh, amazon google spotify um oh, what's the one i always forget we're on stitcher now we're pretty oh, much yeah. everywhere just search us if you find us hit subscribe like comment all that kind of stuff really helps us get the podcast out in front of as many ears as possible we also really appreciate it when you guys get in touch with us. We've got a contact form on the website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. Uh, you fill that out, and it lands in our inbox, and we can answer your question on air or, you know, personally, whatever you want. Um, additionally, you can reach out to us on social media. You can find us 
Uh, you can find Ben on Instagram. He's at Hunting Benjamin. And you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Sammy underscore ha. Um, or you can just email us the old-fashioned way. It's um, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. And we also want to thank you to everyone who has donated to us on Ko-Fi, ko-fi.com forward slash unnamed automotive podcast. If you want to leave us a tip, we appreciate it. It helps keep the lights on. It helps keep a roof over Sammy's head. And those are two very important things. Absolutely. So um, that's it for this week's episode. Ben, I can't wait to talk to you next week. Yeah. Uh, what are you going to be driving? I don't know. <laughs> Excellent. The suspense is already making me tingle. I, know. I I'm going to be driving something totally crazy. It's the Audi e-tron GTRS, which is an uh, insane battery-powered performance car. Excellent. All right. Thank you for listening, everybody. Take care.